1975, Universal Pictures invested a measly $9 million in a movie that would go on to gross more than $470 million and become a cultural icon. This movie not only broke box office records and has stood the test of time, it also marked the coming out of a young up-and-coming director, a fellow by the name of Spielberg. I'm talking, of course, about Jaws. Now, if you've never seen Jaws, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to check it out. I challenge you to watch the movie Jaws before you go on vacation this summer. <laughs> you won't even look at a swimming pool the same way after you see the movie Jaws. It is a movie that has actually stood the test of time. It's a movie of incredible storytelling. The soundtrack is iconic. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, of course, with the benefit of 40 years of hindsight and with our state-of-the-art CG IMAX technology, we look at the special effects of Jaws from 1975 and think, <laughs> that's so cute. That's so quaint. The mechanical shark that works so infrequently, they only got it in about four or five scenes in the whole movie. But that was part of the magic of Jaws, that... There was this story of man versus nature and our innate fear of the unknown and the unseen. There was the sheriff, played by Roy Scheider, who made it his mission to capture this menacing, human-targeting, great white shark that was, that was tormenting and terrorizing the beaches of a fictitious New England town, Amity Island. He, of course, in, you know, enlisted the help of that crusty old salt quint who knew all about the sharks in these waters and then there was of course the oceanographer who gave them the biological and the scientific background that they needed to make this hunt successful but i think of the entire movie and all of the things that jaws is remembered for there's one line in the whole movie there's one line that this movie is iconic and known for, and I think if you haven't seen the movie, Jaws, in this one line, you will see everything you need to know about the movie, Jaws. Check this out. You heard him? Slow ahead. in movie-making history. You hear that lantern? Who has a lantern on a boat in 1975 squeaking in the background, cigarette dangling out of the corner? Of the... You're going to need a bigger boat. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you right now and as a statement of faith and Christian doctrine, tell them you're going to need a bigger boat. Now, you know, when you decide you're going to do a sermon series, Something in the Water, there's really no way you could talk about something in the water and not discuss Noah and his ark, Noah and the flood. There, 
It's one of those stories in the Bible that's so iconic. And even if you haven't read the actual biblical account, you're probably somewhat familiar with the story. You've been in a children's nursery and seen the animals two by two walking up the little plank to Noah and his wife, long beard in the robe and the rainbow over them. You know kind of the general gist of the story. But this morning, I want to get at much, much more than just the general gist. We want to dig deeper and really get at the story behind the story. Of course, the Bible tells us that God flooded the entire earth, that the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights, and there was one family that was saved from this destruction and from the flood, Noah, and his family were rescued by God when God commanded Noah to build the ark, a big big boat and to take all of the animals two by two male and female onto that ark so that they would be preserved humanity would be preserved and saved from this horrific flood now many of you right now as you think about this you're already asking the Bryant Gumbel question you don't know it but you are how many of you remember Bryant Gumbel used to be on the Today Show he's right now on uh HBO Real Sports, and, and Brian Gumbel w- was always impeccably dressed. I mean, the dude can dress. He's unbelievable. And he had those, you know, real smart-looking spectacles that he always wore. But Brian Gumbel would always come to an interview with somebody, and if they gave him an answer that he didn't quite buy, he would always do this. He would sit there, and he was very, very, you know, fastidious. He'd cross his legs and sit there, and he'd take the glasses off, and he'd go, Why? Somebody tells them something, they go, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened in that case. I wasn't there, and, and I would have done something very, very differently. And Brian will go, why? <laughs> so right now, I want you to say that. Ask the question, why? That's a fun question to ask. And I think a lot of times in church world, people are afraid to ask why. They don't do it. Like, well, I don't know. I'm at church. I, I don't want to ask why or seem like I don't believe something or whatever. And I believe nothing thrills the heart of God more than for you and me to play Bryant Gumbel and with respect and honoring God still ask the questions that we ask. To ask of God, why? Why flood the earth? Why for 40 days and 40 nights did the heavens rain down and the springs of earth come up and flood out everything except Russell Crowe and his family? (laughs) And this weekend... The message, you're going to need a bigger boat, actually complements last weekend's message beautifully. When we talk about the blessings of God being opened like the floodgates out of heaven that we talked about last week, this weekend we look at the floodgates of heaven being opened up with the judgment of God. And judgment's one of those things we don't like to talk about. It's not fun. Many of us maybe grew up in church environments or maybe households where people talked about the wrath of God and he's going to strike you down and he's going to enjoy it and you're going to do the right thing or there's going to be hell to pay. And you know, I mean, seriously. And so when I say the word judgment, some of you are like, ooh, can I please get up and leave without anybody seeing? But this morning, we're going to discover that the judgment of God is actually rooted in the love of God. Whatever you want to believe about God, believe this. God is love. He is love. And to understand why he 
flooded the earth and destroyed everything that was living, you have to understand why he did it. If you've got your Bibles or maybe your smartphones where you have the YouVersion Bible app or something else, go to Genesis chapter 6. The story of Noah and his family begins in Genesis 6, but it, it continues on through some following chapters. But in Genesis 6, there, there's a critical, critical passage that, that I want to make sure we don't miss as we start this conversation. If, if we're talking about needing a bigger boat, why? Verse 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Now for some of you here today, that is a radical repositioning of the judgment of God. A lot of times we have been taught or we have appropriated other people's erroneous views of God to somehow feel like God enjoys raining down wrath on humanity. That when God sits up in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike at somebody having fun, he just can't wait. Here they come. I got them, I got them in my sights. Here it is. Right there. That one right there is having wham. <laughs> got another one. When nothing could be further from the truth. The truth, the reality is that sin breaks the heart of God. Because sin, when you and I choose to reject God, we're walking away from the relationship for which we were created. He created humanity to live in relationship, fellowship with him. That's not just acquaintanceship. Hey, how's it going? No, no, no. It is deep, abiding relationship. And sin ruptures that relationship. And so it makes sense then that since God created us for relationship because he is love, he created us as the objects of his love to receive his love, when we step away from that love, it breaks his heart. I think the only parallel that we can even come close to understanding would be a parent who has reared and equipped a child who chooses to go their own way, to walk away from the relationship with the parent who loves them unconditionally. Now, as human beings, we don't love them perfectly because we're human. Julie had a friend call her this week from out of state. And she says, Julie, we've been watching the Fearless Mom videos, and, and we've seen what you're talking about, but I just have one question for you. And Julie goes, yeah, what can I do? She goes, did you ever yell at your kids? And Julie said, I never did. <laughs> Julie did yell at our kids. And I had to step in and say, Julie, that's not right. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I was a much bigger yeller. I, I messed up so many times as a dad but I, but I realized that that yelling thing, that was more about me than it was them. But God has never yelled at his children for no reason. And when God does discipline his children, he does it in love. He does it to call them back 
to himself, to live in a relationship with him, to live their lives the way he created us to live. And so when we reject that, when we walk away from it, like it says in Genesis 6, it breaks the heart of God. And then all of a sudden, when I start to understand that, I realize my, I look at my sin differently. My sin is not just something I'm getting away with. My sin is not just something that doesn't have any effects. It's a victimless crime. No, no, no. My sin, your sin, grieves the heart of our perfect Father. We, we don't want to break anybody's heart, do we? And yet that's what happens when we choose to turn away from him. And so that's the story behind the story, why God did that. Because God realized that humanity in that day and age, except for Noah and his family, humanity had totally turned their backs on God. There was no bringing them back in their own free will and choice. And so he purposed to start over. And that was when he approached Noah. And he said, Noah, build a boat. It's fitting to rain, cuz. I mean, it is going to come down. And look at what happened. Genesis chapter 7. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 4. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among all of the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. Now, I have to tell you something real quick. Just keep it real. I read that passage of Scripture, and something inside me goes, all of the world? I mean, there, there's nobody in the world who's, who's right. Only this one guy, God, Maybe you miss somebody. Am I the only one? Does anybody else think that? You, you look at that and you go, God, I mean, just be careful. Be careful, God. Here's the problem. We equate judgment to opinion. God equates judgment to fact. You see, the judgment of God is always right. The judgment of God is always right. He is batting a thousand as the judge. He is the one who never makes a mistake in judging humanity, in judging people. You and I make mistakes all the time. And that's why we, we say, man, we don't like judgmental people. You know what I noticed in myself about four years ago? When I saw somebody being judgmental or legalistic, this is what I would do. I would go, man, what a jerk. He's being judgmental. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> I was being judgmental about them being judgmental. So even when we see judgmentalism in a human being, we got to be careful. That's why the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And don't, don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye. You have something in your contact when you've got a log hanging out of yours. The judgment of God is always right. It's always right. Not one time has God made a judgment and then later had to go back and say, sorry, on appeal, I was wrong. It doesn't work that way. 
He is morally flawless. He is wisdom itself. And so his judgments are always right. Now, here's the thing about that. We need that. And I would argue we want God's judgment. Not on ourselves, of course, but on other people. We don't want judgmental people, but we crave a judgmental God. A God who judges rightly and fairly every single time. How many of you are going on vacation somewhere this summer? You're going to take a trip. Just see a show of hands. Okay, keep your hands up, but only if you're going to drive. If you're going to do a road trip this summer, Mr. Griswold, stand tall and proud. Okay, when you go on a family vacation road trip, it is amazing what you learn about your family. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's awesome, sometimes not so much. And on this family road trip, especially when the kids are younger and littler, you hear things like, when are we going to be there? How much farther? But after a while, like, you know, about five minutes after you leave the driveway, you'll hear things from the back seat like this. Mom, he's touching me. <laughs> Dad, Max looking at me. And you know you don't want your dad or your mom to whip around and go, don't make me stop this car. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out and make another one to look just like you. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> and so mom or dad continues driving down the road, and you can see the anger, the smoke kind of coming out of their ears. And without even moving from here up, the offending party will reach across the back seat and touch him again. Mom, he touched me again. What are we doing in that moment? We're seeking justice. We're seeking a judge and a jury to rain down judgment to set everything right again. C.S. Lewis tells the story of a young child on the playground, first grade, who is for no provoked reason pushed down on the playground. The child jumps up and runs to the teacher and says, they pushed me down. That's not fair. We have this innate sense of, this innate need for fairness, for right to be right and wrong to be wrong, especially in other people's lives. <laughs> but especially if we've been wronged, if we've been hurt or wounded, we, we need somebody to set it right. And the judgment of God promises that he will set everything right. There will come a day when every wrong will be made right again, when everything that is broken will be made unbroken. And that only happens because of his judgment. And he judges because he is righteous and because he is love. And so we begin to understand that it's not just about wrath and condemnation. It's also about righteousness and fairness, and right and wrong. And because he's God, he will not lower the standard of right or raise the standard of wrong to accommodate what we feel like. He's God, and he makes the call. And so we come to understand that this is how he did. But look at what he did. Even in his judgment on the earth in the days of Noah, he preserved a remnant 
of the faithful. Even in his judgment, God preserves a remnant of faithfulness to continue his purposes. That's what he did with Noah. He preserved that remnant of Noah and his family so that his purposes would not be completely obliterated, but after the flood would be carried on. Check this out. Genesis chapter 8. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Now, time out. We think about Noah, and most of us just kind of reflexively think 40 days and 40 nights. Long time to be on a boat. And they, we've already read, he was, they started on the boat seven days before it started raining. But if you read Genesis all the way through and take the details in, the Bible says that Noah and his family and those animals were on that boat for 49 weeks. Because it rained 40 days and 40 nights, the springs of the earth came up and flooded the earth. But then when the rain stopped, it took, it took time for those waters to recede. And then after the waters had receded, it took a while for the earth to dry out where they could walk on dry ground again. That is when God said, leave the boat. Verse 17, he says, release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. See, <clears throat> this is how faithfulness responds to judgment. It responds to discipline by being fruitful and flourishing. Faithfulness responds to judgment by flourishing. I'll give you an example. If you're a parent and you discipline your kids, you say, hey, course correction here, don't yell at your mother. I'm going to tell you why. I chose her, you just showed up. <laughs> don't talk to her that way. That's not going to work well for you in life or in this household. Change your tone. I've just disciplined my child. My child will learn from that example if my child is wise, if they're not wise, if they are foolish. They keep talking to their mother that way. Then I quit buying them food. <laughs> I'm teasing for those of you who are new. It's a little overstatement. But faithfulness responds to judgment by flourishing. Now, Julie and I disciplined our kids. Not one time when we disciplined Emily and Joseph as they were growing up, not one time did they look back at us and say, Father, thank you for your wisdom and showing me the error of my ways. I will turn and repenteth from, thine, from these mistakes and walk in the way everlasting. Thank you so much. Not one time. But you know, over time, Emily and Joseph discovered that we were disciplining them for their own good and that the way we were showing them to go worked better than the way they were choosing to go without the discipline. As our kids were growing up, we had a family meeting almost every single night. Not a, not a long one, but we would gather to discuss the next day. And we would usually just say, what's on your schedule what time are you leaving? What time is family breakfast when we're all going to gather together at the table and just be a family for a little bit before we go and scatter? And usually this meeting would happen towards the end of the evening. Julie and I would be in our room usually watching TV, and Julie would say, hey, will you whistle for the kids? 
Emily and Joseph were in another room, another part of the house, and I would go. And so they would know, family meeting, let's go. They knew neither to dilly nor to dally on the way. And they would come in and we would have this conversation. Now, fast forward, this past Friday night, Julie and I watched the last of our offspring graduate from high school. It was a great, great day. It was a victory. It was a celebration. And like every other parent in the Irwin Center, thousands of people, as the graduates started to walk down the center aisle and take their place, we, we were looking for Joseph. Where is he? Where, where is he going? Where is he going? Where is he going to sit? And as a part of the senior chorale and choir, he was going to be singing with that group the national anthem at the beginning of it. So we, we spotted him as he's walking down the aisle. I go, there he is. There's Joseph. He's walking. And there he is coming up to the stage. And he goes up. He takes his place on the stage. And he's standing there. And I wanted him to know where we were. I wanted him to know we were there. And so I said, this is what I got back in response. My boy, no, 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 my boy knew when his daddy called him. And he knew that there was a lot of love behind that whistle. He, he knew because there had been a, a track record of years built up. And as a senior in high school, a graduate of high school who knows everything, I got a little smirk. But he knew. You see, when God calls faithful people, they know this is rooted in love. He, he's, he's disciplining me. He's giving me his judgment because he loves me. I'm not going to run from that judgment of God. I'm going to run to the judgment. I'm going to run to the discipline of God because I know it's for his glory and my good. Every single time God whistled for Noah he said Noah I need a remnant I, I need somebody faithful that, that when all the floodwaters have receded you will go out and flourish you will go out and be fruitful and multiply and then my purposes will be accomplished now, I told you at the beginning of the message, you're going to need a bigger boat. Here's the thing. You can't understand Noah without Jesus. There, there's, Noah is, is incredible, and there's so much to be gleaned and learned from the story of Noah, but it doesn't come to full fruition. The story's not fulfilled without Jesus. You see, Jesus changes everything. Over in the New Testament, check this out. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, talking about Noah and the flood thousands of years before. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Only eight people because of the ark, that little boat. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
You see, the flood only makes sense in the light of Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead after his crucifixion that the flood makes sense. And, and Noah and his ark, eight people were saved in that boat. We got more than eight people on the front row, I think. Nine. Perfect. Thank y'all. One of y'all would have been left off. I ain't going to say. You see, we need a bigger boat. And Jesus Christ is the only ark big enough for all humanity. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him will never die, but will have eternal life. That's who he is. That's the bigger boat. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a minute. But I want to ask you to bow for a sacred moment because I believe with everything I have that when we gather, people have invited friends, family, who have never really understood the need that we all have for a bigger boat. The need that Jesus satisfies. Whenever you see the judgment of God, you always see judgment followed by mercy. Mercy. Jesus never negates the reality of judgment, but he provides the path of mercy. He is the way of mercy. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that mercy, you've never gotten on that boat, then right where you are, we want to just give you the opportunity to respond to his grace initiative. To pray a prayer of beginning a relationship with Jesus. Just right where you are, just with your head bowed, just silently talk to God. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you are the bigger boat. And so I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. And in exchange for your life, I give you mine right here, right now. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Once and for all. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. 
because this is a sacred moment when God's moving in people's lives. And if you just prayed that prayer, you need to understand this is the greatest moment of your life. It's the most significant moment. And so I want to invite you just to mark this moment with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. If you would just mark this moment, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want to just ask you to raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment. And as you raise your hand, I want you to know, as a church, we want to be a family of faith for you, a place to grow in this new relationship. We believe what the Bible says that this is the body of Christ. Imperfect though we are, we're doing the best we can with what we've got to work with and we need your help. It's good for you to be a part of us. It's good for us to be a part of you. And so we honor that. We celebrate that in your life. And so today we celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we celebrate by putting our hands together and telling you, welcome home. Welcome home.